I can't take it. Um, seeing men, women, ladies, uh, lives changed. Um, it, 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 it rocks me, um, Lord Jesus. To see your work um, in people's lives, seeing them serving you, seeing them loving you, seeing them before they became Christians, some before they became Christians, and see them leading ministries, it's, it's overwhelming, God. Um, that's what we're here for. That's what I moved here for. That's what we want to see you continue to do. <clears throat> May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord God, my strength and my redeemer <clears throat> in whom I trust in Jesus' name. Amen. How y'all doing? Good, good. <clears throat> Praise God for his, for his love. Just pray I can motion through so I need to think about steak or something. Because um, they tore me up. I'm so angry with y'all. Um, <laughs> but um, we, we are we're excited about lives. Um, the numbers are secondary. Um, only the numbers are only exciting because lives have been changed. Um, so um, praise the Lord for his work in, 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 at Epiphany Fellowship and in the lives of people who are desperately in love with Jesus. Um, don't, don't let the gear fool you. They love Jesus. Um, don't let the hairdos and the cuts fool you. They love Jesus. So we want to honor God. Amen. want to honor God for, for his work. We got, like, we got like seven, eight weddings this year. Um, crazy. The Lord's work in people's lives. Spiritual growth and growing things biblically. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to dive into this. Um, you know, ladies, I know y'all glad now, you know, um, <laughs> that we pass y'all. Now, we're going to come back one day. So all of y'all were like, get them, Pastor. Get them next week. Get them. You know, because you got us. You know, but we only got one verse. Y'all had six. <laughs> you know, I know. I mean, Peter even thought masculinely. We could say a lot of things to the women. Just say one verse to the dudes. Like, if he had talked six verses, we'd have been like, oh, you know. You know, we'd have zoned out, you know, um, but <laughs> that's not the reason. But <clears throat> I just have to joke my way out of these tears. So um, today we're going to dive into um, the men, specifically the husbands. Husbands um, and wannabe husbands. Um, th th this is <clears throat> extremely for our time, probably, and, and, and as I looked at the background of this passage, I, I, it, it, it awakened my, 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 my mind to the shock value of how this word to the men and women in Asia Minor would have blown them away. Not so much for the women. 1 through 6 in verse 3, 
would not have really blown the women away too much because it was kind of adjacent more redemptively to what they would have expected. But in this, in this context, in this society, what Peter says to the men is extremely countercultural. <clears throat> more countercultural than for the women. And, I, and I'll explain this to you. And for the women to hear what Peter commands the men to do in this verse would have blew their top. Because for these women, they've never heard of this. They, they, they've grown up in a particular context where men and the supremacy of manhood overshadowed their womanhood. And so to hear Peter say what he says in verse 7 really would have been something that would have taken a lot for Jesus to sanctify the men. Now remember, verse chapter 2, I mean everything in chapter, last part of chapter 2 is a response or a layout of what Peter said in verse 11 and 12 in chapter 2. Let's zoom back into that as we talk about this. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions or fleshly lusts or passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify um, God on the day of visitation. And so everything that Peter says after this is to talk about multiple institutions where Christians can maximize what it looks like to engage other, uh, uh, the unbeliever with a countercultural philosophy of life. And he picks a few areas and a few roles. He picks civic duties. He picks uh, vocational duty. And then sandwiched in between, like an Oreo cookie, he sandwiches in there Christ as the thing that glues the cookie together. That without him, there is no function biblically, missionally, or practically of the Christian life in any institution. And it's interesting that right after that, he goes into marriage. And we talked we talked about the women last week, and we talked about their role to not allow suffering and challenges to cause their role as a wife to become substandard. In other words, going through challenges and trials is an excuse to begin to take a break from the Christian life. Matter of fact, he applies it to the wife. He says, just because you're going through some things you have no excuses. You're even more, uh, you, you're even held more accountable for your wifehood when things get worse. But then he doesn't let the women be the only ones that gets that message. He gets into the dudes. He talks to the fellas. And, and he begins to talk to the fellas about what it looks like to have coppable manhood. When I say coppable, that, that means that somebody else can look at it, be blown away by it, and mimic it. In other words, the Christian life, especially in these areas, are supposed to be mimicable. 
You are models as the body of Christ. That's not just a title. That is also a function. And so now the body of Christ shows off its weight, its body, bodiness through, that's not a word, but I made it up, bodiness through these particular functions. So our lives must reflect Christ's life in order to challenge both believers and unbelievers. But one of the areas in, in Asia Minor that they were very deficient of, I think more than the other three areas, is masculinity. Masculinity. Because the, their culture in relation to roles had deeply affected the men in a way where they didn't switch up their game when they became Christians. And so they brought into marriage unredeemed pictorials of masculinity and the role of a husband. And so what Peter does in this passage is he begins to put on blast, yet affirm and encourage and focus these men on a biblical understanding of masculinity. And we're going to dive into that because the origin of masculinity is Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. And we're going to talk about that man and man and man over the next year when we, we do our masculinity series for a year. We're going to talk about masculinity for a year. The man and the father. The man and God the son. The man and God the spirit. The man and his Bible. The man and sex. The man and prayer. The man and his wife. The man and work. The man, the man, the man. So, 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 so it's for men. Amen. I, I like the manly piece of this right now. I'm feeling real uh, testosterized right now. <laughs> so redemptively, men, of course, are supposed to look at Christ because God made the man to be a male. I wish I had time to just spend on just what the meaning of a male is. But we're going to talk about that man to man. But, 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 but he, he focused, he, in other words, he says, he made him male and he made her female. So there were specific things that the woman in her role does to glorify God because divine wiring and gifting as well as the dude. But that was the fall caused that to be lost. It was defaced, but not erased. So man took his testosterone and his masculinity and injected it with false philosophies of life that we are still trying to recover from thousands of years later. Are you with me? But then there was another Adam that came after the first Adam. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Bible said that this Adam's swagger was different. Yeah, 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 yeah. He do got swag if you want to know about him. And, and, and see, the first Adam flunked. He flunked. He flunked in his masculinity. He flunked as a man. He flunked as a husband. Therefore, God foresaw it in his sovereignty and said, you will be the new Adam, Jesus, and I am going to send you to rewrite masculinity. Oh, I wish somebody was with me today. And in Romans chapter 5 says, through the first Adam, all died. But through the second Adam, man, 
that, that, like I know contextually it's talking about the new humanity, the church. But if I can talk about one of the masculine applications of that, it gives us the ability to re-be men. Yeah, I said it, re-be. That wasn't a tongue, that's just an improper prefix. <laughs> re-be. So, God bless you. I know somebody, somebody went like this. Oh, pastor. <laughs> and so, and we're going to go through this, man, but, but, but Jesus, the second Adam, is our big brother, our elder bro in the faith. And we look up to big brother, not J-A-Y, but J-E-S-U-S. It's our big brother. And he, and he sons us. Yes, he does. And, and, he, and, and this is where our manhood finds solace. This is where it finds perspective. See, many of us as men are so scared to be gay or be seen as being gay that we respond to homosexuality negatively using that as the model for what we're not going to be and writing a false model of masculinity. Because then homosexuality becomes your modeling tool. Even in a way you don't even realize. Oh, I wish I had time. But, 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 here, but here, now we're not utilizing homosexuality or fear of a hug or a kiss from another man. We're not talking about switching. Dude. We're not talking about that. We're talking about properly having the person who gives us biblical perspective on what it's like to be a dude. And so I'm loving the fact that Peter deals with this. This would have been shocking in, in the day. The women would have blushed. It's about time. Because you don't understand, men used to treat their wives crazily back then. I was blown away as I began to page through all of the background pericopes, and I, I, was, I was rocked. I was rocked. And I said, becoming a Christian for a woman back then was getting a husband for real, for real. The marriages were so unhealthy. I mean, systemically unhealthy. To the point where the woman in verse 1 who's believing God for her husband was believing God for her freedom. Because men didn't know how to treat women. And so now Peter, I would say that's even true today though. Yeah. Yeah, but I would say we don't know what we're doing. We're off on the third rock from the sun type masculinity. We're, 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 on, we're on a Gotti's way type masculinity. We're, we're, we're on 50 cents way of masculinity. We're on Jay running the game masculinity. We're, we're on all types of masculinity that may not be biblical masculinity. And so the question for us is not to just name rappers to put them on blast, but to say that we need to Allow Jesus to rewrite our masculine hard drive. And so I want to talk about to the church today, just for a little while. If you'll just trek with me. The masculine husband. The masculine husband. The, the portrait of husbands in America have been uh, 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 disengaged in the household. 
unattracted to their wives after 10 plus years if they even stayed married that long. Disengaged. She's the old lady, the old ball and chain, the chick, the, that woman. Oh my goodness. Men have become emotionally divorced from their wives. Although they're not practically divorced, they are positionally divorced because, and, and it's in this text, it's so beautiful, they refuse to emotionally connect with their wives. And in America, we're like that. I've been guilty. A refusing, and I'm explaining that. It's not psychobabble, it's in the Bible. Another thing, married to friends in football. Everybody else has you, but she don't have you. And as I was studying this text, I saw the American landscape. And I saw our desperate need to recover biblical manhood. And so in this text, Peter's first few words would have blown their mind. He says, likewise, stop right there. Stop right there. That's my first, that's, that points me to my point. Y'all know I usually forget to do my points because I get so excited. Husbands must view their wife as a companion. Let's sit here. For a minute, men, single men, listen. Listen to this. He says, likewise. Likewise, for this passage, points back to the thematic main verb in this passage, hupotasso, submit. Remember, it means fall in line with your Christ-created role. Somebody ought to write that down. Fall in line with your Christ-created role. That means humility biblically is not, oh, no, nah, shucks. That's not humility biblically. That's not humility. And we'll get on that in chapter 5. Biblical humility is agreeing with God with who he says you are and walking in it. And so here, he says, likewise, calling the men to allow themselves to see themselves in light of God, not their surrounding culture. I remember growing up in D.C., Growing up in D.C. and I grew up with, when it was Dodge City and it was 500 cats getting killed a year. Um, I remember the drug kingpin's cousin I used to be a good friend with lived right across the street from me. And back then we used to wear Gore-Tex sweatsuits. Y'all know nothing about that. And that's when we just had beepers. That's when beepers first came out. Beepers. Y'all don't even know what that is. What's a beeper? What's a beeper? You used to wear, used to wear some Gore-Tex sweats, filas. We used to have in D.C., we had super tans. They come all the way up to the top. Y'all know nothing about that. That was before butters. 
Some of y'all, what's butters? But butters. <laughs> Tams, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, but, uh, they like, yeah. So, back then I used to watch cats. And I remember we would play basketball. Cats would have on their wife beaters and we'd be balling. And they would have on their beepers and they'd be balling. Wow. Lighting the cord up, then the beeper would go off. And then they would go and they would go to the payphone. You had to have a cord in your pocket. <laughs> then they say, we, cats would be playing in the game and they say, we got a dip. And all the cats on the court used to peep it. We used to look at it and be like, man, lay man, you know, doing it like that. Then the ice cream truck would come by the, by, by the thing. My man would pull out a knot, rakitoki, right there. <laughs> and then he'd say, what you want, E? What you want, my man? I'd be like, man, where you get that knot from? You know, a knot is a bunch of, a wad of money. And so, and so I said, where you get that knot from, man? He said, oh, you know how it is. And I remember him recruiting and discipling young men in the community who he would give $20 to here, $100 to there, and then they end up becoming his flankers on the block, and he could stay in the house, and they would get locked up, and he wouldn't, and they wouldn't snitch on him. And I wanted to be like that. All of us have our false masculinity stories. If we just pass this mic around, every man can identify with the, who you look up to as an icon. But here Peter says, likewise. And in his likewise, he's calling men to fall back from what everybody does likewise out there and what Christians likewise do in here. And he says, likewise, husbands. Husbands. Oh, let's just stop on husbands. Because as I was studying this, I said, and I know I stop on words a lot, but I don't assume anybody knows anything, not even me. Husband. And I thought about it. I said, 90% of the kids born in this city are born in single-parent homes. Do people know what a husband is? I, I didn't know that there was going to come to a point in my lifespan where there was a generation of people that were socialized that know that that's my dad and that's my mom, but they're not married. So therefore, the relationship that he has with her is extremely strained. She cusses him out on the phone. Somebody down the street told me they got a, that his, that's his dad and that's his mom's husband. Her, his mom, they don't, like people... They're people that don't have never seen a husband before. It's an extinct species. A husband. And so I asked the scriptures, help me to understand this idea. So this is not the one who just plays the man. This is not a mentor merely. This is not the guy that comes over now again and take mommy on a date. This is a man that before God and before government has said that I will take on the role as a lifetime partner with this one woman.
But we got so many players that nobody, everybody wants to play, but they don't understand what a biblical player looks like. And so a husband, a husband, today a husband is, is, is not really a very strong word because it's lost its strength. And, and, and I'm not talking about, I'm not going to get into, you know, the, I'm not talking about homosexual and he's the man in the relationship and he's the, I'm not talking about that. Because we can run to that and use that as an excuse not to walk in the biblical lane of manhood. So I don't want us to get off on homosexuality. Most people don't know what this is. And so he calls out to the men that are married to one woman. And he says, husbands, 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 people who are married in a relationship and are committed to that relationship. What's interesting here is I don't want to get into childbearing. He basically limits this text to the man who is married to a woman and, and, and their relationship. But then he goes and he uses a word that's beautiful. He says, likewise, husbands live. He doesn't use the usual word for life, zoe. Doesn't use that. He uses another word that's a beautiful word, and it's actually a compound word, uh, a sun oikeso. Sun oikeso. Not queso, oikeso. Sun means together, oikeso means to dwell. King James got it right in his translation when it says dwell together, according to knowledge. We'll talk about that. Dwell together. This means that the husband as a companion must be present. Now, I know that's simple, but you got to understand what it means to be present. I'm not talking about your body's here with me and your mind is on the other side of town. You're messing me around. Some of the old folks are like, sing it, pastor. Fooling me around. Oh! No, but what's interesting, what's interesting is the word to live is a present active participle. In other words, it must be a consistent thing that happens regularly and never ends. The husband must dwell, dwell together, live, not exist. It's easy to exist. You just have to be born once. But to dwell together, you got to be born twice. So when we talk about this understanding of the word to live, to dwell together. It, it is almost in Peter's assertion, that th th it is almost, it seems like the wife wants to, but the husband doesn't. It's assumed by Peter in this text that we as men are, uh, because of the fall, naturally disengaged from our household. And so he has to start off with a simple biblical principle of masculinity. Be home. For real, for real. 
not in the house. Home, dwelling. It is interesting that he commands it of the husbands. And the point of this, ver or this word means they must cohabitate. In, in this context, it points to being comprehensively present. That means physically present, emotionally present, spiritually present, financially present, intellectually present, and volitionally present. Comprehensively present. That means that we as men must be fully engaged in our homes. Fully engaged. Specifically of our wives. And even though there's sexual overtones here in this, it's, it's interesting that it, he doesn't merely point to that because he knows that's the easy one. But, what's, but, but, but what I see, what I saw a parallel in this passage to is Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where it calls the wife a helper. The one who is parallel or adjacent to, that fully completes the relationship. It can be translated indispensable companion. Indispensable companion, not less than. Right beside, locking arms, not walking behind him, but beside him. Arms locked, loaded, ready to take on the world to the glory of Jesus. Indispensable, I can't do this without you. I don't know what it would look like if my life didn't Lego us together. Indispensable, indispensable, not my flunky, not my chick, not my young thing, my companion. Not, I want some sex, but leave me alone. Companion, indispensable, life is impossible because God has brought you on this path with me and I don't have the gift of singleness, I have the gift of marriage. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen, and therefore I have to have you. I have to. I, I, you got to be in my life. If you're not in my life, I can't live right. Now, I know that sounds too much, but that's what the text is saying. When it talks about the wife being an indispensable com uh, companion, that means that life, we know Jesus is the sinner, but Jesus has a means of grace. For the husband, the wife is a means of grace. There's some grace that the husband can't get until he's dwelling right with his wife. I wish somebody would talk to me. I, 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 I listen. I, I, I don't. I don't know what my life would be like. There's sanctification that would not have happened until I married Yvette. There's sanctification I hadn't heard of. Love you, girl. But I've learned. I've learned. Not she's not Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But certain things that God provides are so important that they're close to it, though, because Jesus uses it as a means. Other understandings of this word helper. 
supply what the man was lacking in design of creation. God specifically booby-trapped man with neediness and the woman with neediness that God fulfills through them getting together. So he says dwell, which I believe helps me to point back another one. It says according to the opposite of him, suitable, matching, corresponding to. The man's form and nature are matched by the woman's. I ain't going to go into the anatomy of that, praise God. As she reflects him and compliments him, together they mutually correspond. This also points to Genesis 2.24, where Adam prophesied about something that he didn't have, a mother and a father. That's why it was a prophecy. He said, for this cause, that's why he's the first prophet. A lot of people don't know that. Adam was the first prophet. He said, for this cause, a man. And the emphasis put on that, that doesn't mean the woman isn't in some way responsible for that. But he was, it was uniquely placed on the man that the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave, attached to, lego himself to his wife. Cleave means to abandon, to forsake, to leave behind and discard. Now, you got to understand culturally, when you fall back from father and mother in that culture, it means to fall back from everything that has to do with that world. So that can be false things that you got from your parents. That means you can't be a mama's boy. Mama. Mama. I will crash a plane right now. Talking about some big old oak throwing joker. Talking about some mama. The word, the, the word can mean to stick with. When we talk about to dwell, I'm glad we got a cordless and I can walk around. How y'all doing? This is a key point, men. This is a key point. No matter where we are in life, our wives have to feel our presence. I'll talk about, I'll flesh that out when we talk about understanding way. There, there have been times where I've been so tired from ministry where I didn't always dwell properly with my wife in different areas of my life. And she said, I know you're tired, baby, but I'm, I'm, I am in the house. And she'll walk past with something on, and then I wake up real quick. But she shouldn't have to do that all the time. I mean, sometimes. Um, but not all the time. Not all the time. But sometimes. So, <laughs> so Peter, Peter calls the men to walk redemptively based on God's original edict through Adam for him to properly view his wife. Men, we have to properly view our wives. Single men, I know you want to get married, and after your little sexcapade has run its course, you want to disengage. 
I know that's real talk. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Yeah. There is no excuse for it. There is no place for it. But we got to dwell. Now let's get on. He said, likewise, husbands, dwell. When they got past a few words. I'm sorry. Dwell with your wives. Yeah. Here we go. In an understanding way. I may just, I don't, yeah. Wow. In an understanding way. This word here is the usual, is the usual word for knowledge, not for understanding. But Peter uses it, and I like the way the King James translates it. It says, because it's actually a, a, a literal, a real, real literal translation. It says, according to knowledge. It's several things that gives the husband the ability to live according to knowledge. That brings me to my second point. Not only must the husband be a companion to his wife, but the husband must view their wife as a course instructor. When you get married, fellas, you think you're going to be teaching her a bunch of stuff. You will, because you got to wash her with the water of the word. But the Bible teaches us that when we get married, men, we got to take out a pen and a piece of paper. Because you know we can't remember nothing. Can't remember. What'd you say, honey? Go upstairs and, huh? What you, you got to say, baby, I forgot. What you, so we need help. You know what I'm saying? We need help. <laughs> so he says, live with your wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge. That means that you must take wifey 101. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about her preferences. I like it like this. I want that. Right? We ain't talking about you being a slave to her fleshly whims. That's not what the text is saying. It's talking about that was in the sphere of biblical reason. Do it. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says when someone's married, they have to love them according to the world. Now, it's not talking about the world system, but utilizing freedom in Christ in that which is redeemable to please your spouse. Now, here he says, live with your wife in an understanding way. It means to study, be considerate, comprehend, acquainted with, and perceive. Live with her in an understanding way. That means that you must study her, not just her anatomy, but her heart, her mind, and switch up your game. You a player for life when you marry biblically because you, you got to have game. I'm talking about biblical game, not some old fake street behind the alley type game. I'm talking about biblical game, Resong of Solomon. That's just one piece of the game, though. This is one piece. So when, when men lead and learn, they must include the wife's emotions, her spiritual vitality, well-being, redeemed desires, and prefer, preferences in decision-making. Even above your own, have her in mind. Now, there are three areas that I'm going to touch. I may get through one, and I may just end just because of time. And just, well... First one, 
You've got to spiritually feed your wife. Ephesians 2.26 says, We are to wash our wives with the water of the word. That means the Bible assumes that a man getting married knows his Bible. Now, ladies, this is for you, too. Become a, Because some of y'all like guys that have great six-packs, but ain't in the scriptures. Some of y'all like peccatoriuses versus biblical principles. Some of y'all like dudes that have nice backs, but don't have a nice in the scriptures. So this is even an apologetic for you, mommy. Because if he don't understand you before you get married, if he ain't trying to adjust nothing, guess what? He ain't going to do it when you get married. Now, that was just a comma, semicolon, parentheses, brackets. So you got to shepherd her soul. You got to pray with her. I don't know what happens when you get married, but sometimes the hardest person to pray with is your spouse. It's true. I'm not saying you got to get up every morning, rise and shine, and y'all, I'm not saying that. But there has to be some shepherding of her. So you have to know where your flock and your herd. You got to know what she is on her spiritual journey. You have to have a vision for her direction. You have to have a passion for her and where, she, where God wants to take her. And as a pastor, it's hard because you want to have so much vision for the church, but God has always reminded me, what is your vision for Yvette? Biblically, not just what you just thinking of, but what is your vision for her? Shepherd her. And this is, this is important. The primary caregiver of the spiritual sustenance of a wife under Jesus is the husband, not the pastor. The Christian community or her dad, but the husband. That's why I like the giving over the hand from the daddy to the husband. That signifies the transfer of spiritual authority. That means, men, by the grace of Jesus Christ, that we have to be beefy supplements. Not supplements, but the full course meal so that sometimes when you get to church, your wife needs to say high five you because you already taught some of her some of that. She ain't got to hear everything for the first time when it comes to Now, I know the pastors are extraordinarily gifted at times to bring things that your husband may not be as equipped to. However, if, if you ain't go as deep, at least you should have, you know, threw a rock across the water or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Number two. Emotionally connect with her. Now, when you go back to Genesis, turn there. Chapter two. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, powerful verses. 
I'm going to fully exegete this when we go verse by verse through Genesis one day. But I just want to point your eyes to some stuff. It's real important for us as men. Therefore, a man... Uh, no, 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 no. Just, just, just go to verse 25. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That phraseology is interesting. I actually, when I was uh, developing the stuff on biblical view of sex that some of you all heard before, um, it was interesting doing a study on the phraseology, Hebraically, of her being, you know, they're both being naked and unashamed. What it means is, it's not that they were merely physically naked, but it means that they didn't have any other prior baggage that limited their ability to be one. One of the commentaries says that this means that they don't have any emotional trappings that get in the way of them fully connecting with one another. But the fall caused us to have dating relationships with sex and kissing and movies and staying over all night and shacking and all of this stuff. And then we get saved, get married, and we're trying to reorient ourselves on how to emotionally connect with our wife. Because we got, we got Shaquita, um, uh, Shaquayque, uh, Dantisha, and all of them in our minds line up. And we got them as comparison formats of what they've done. And then we look at our wife and we have too much in the way of us emotionally attaching to them. And that's why we need to pray that God frees up our emotions. Do you know that men are emotional? You just don't show it the same way. You ain't, man, I saw that movie. You that's not your emotion. When you get angry, guess what that is? Man, I'm going to take, man, shoot, wait till I, that's an emotion. Man, you see how the eagles did that thing? Yeah, yeah. Emotion. But they're just masculinely expressed sometimes. And so the question is, how can we not spend all of our energy emotionally everywhere else and begin to store up for ourselves emotional porridge for our wife? Because men, without emotional connectivity, a woman is unsecure. Not from her moms, not from daddy. Not from her friends, you and I. If she doesn't have it, even if you make a lot of money, she will feel naked and ashamed. Because she feels like you will rake her through the coals at any expense. But when you have a woman that when your name comes up, her face turns peach. Because you're up on your game. Biblically, not just up on play a game, unbiblical play a game. So that means you've got to connect with her on common ground of her heart, her passions, her redeemed passions, and her needs. That doesn't mean we just do whatever. Remember that. Give, and this, of course, gives her a sense of uh, a security. And the primary caregiver, again, let me say it again, of her emotional health under Jesus is us. Not Christian community, not the pastor, not her dad, not her friends, not novels, the husband. This is the place for a woman, if it's not uncovered, that she's going to be extremely out there. So my wife, 
You know, my wife likes it if I go to her doctor's appointments with her. The, the real important ones. She, if, she, if I'm not there to help her think through questions, because we've been through some hardships that, that she needs to be able to, sometimes she may be crying or she may be hurt. So if I'm there, she, she wants me there to fix my schedule. And if I'm not there at an important doctor's appointment, not just a checkup, but an important appointment, we were just talking about it this morning. I was like, how I'm doing? How I'm doing? I was a little scared. He wants, she wants me to pray with her. She wants me to financially provide. She wants me to get insurance. I'm just being real practical. She don't just want me to have a job. She want me to have one with benefits. She don't want me on hourly wage. She want me on salary. Because salary means benefits. Now, I know we got to get real practical. But some of y'all like hourly jobs. But some of y'all going to have to go from hourly to salary. And that means that in order to get from hourly to salary, that means you're going to have to get your educational game up. I know this is real practical. Oh. She wants me to listen to her heart and not zone out. Dang, looking all around. And you know, like, uh, I can be like that sometimes. Like, Looking at her like, oh, God, what have I just walked into? Oh, God. Oh, God, help me. Help me land the plane. And then I'm trying to give her solutions. Like, so, which basically you said, she breaks down crying. See, I knew it. See, I knew it. You don't love me. I know I'm telling the truth. Husband who's been in this a minute know what I'm talking about. Then I got to sit there like, oh, God, help me in the name of Jesus. Let me get a drink of water, some coffee. Let me, bang, I'm here. You got me, girl. You got me. I'm here. <laughs> and many times she wants me to listen without a solution. She wants me to listen. Because, you know, I like to fix stuff. I'm a visionary, strategic thinker. And she like, she like, never mind. Just, just never mind. You were all, I was good to the end, and I said something. I said, dang, I should have shut up. But then, y'all are confusing sometimes. Because then you'll say, what you, I mean, what now? What do you, then I'm like, I don't know when I'm supposed to be quiet and when I'm supposed to give advice. I don't, help me. Y'all know y'all put us through some stuff sometimes. Being able to understand the way work is some work. Like you think you're just going to get married and honeymoon it. You, it's work. Good work, though. Good work. So when you dream about getting married, dream about listening. <laughs> Got to say that. But do you know, do you know, and I'm going to get ready to land the plane because I've been just going. Um, that somebody said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, you know, God, based on Genesis 2.25, the cross of Christ gives us the ability to connect with our wives. How do I know that? Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 says God gives us a new heart. 
That means that he gives us new intellect, new passions, emotions, emotions, and unlocks our will. That means that we have the capacity to intellectually conversate with our wife, practically, in the application aspect of the cross. We have, by the power of Jesus, the ability to emotionally connect with our wives. Biblically, we have the ability, based on the gospel, to flesh out practically what it means to do the will of God, that's volitionally, in our marriage, because of the cross, because of the cross. And so we had a spiritual connection, emotional connection, physical connection. We ain't got to go there. You know we got to do that. So we, we, when we, we know about that I had so much under that. Last point, and I'm out your way. Husbands must view their wives, their wife, uh, 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 must view their wife, um, must make sure that it's consistent with God's view. Husbands must make sure that their understanding of their wife is consistent with God's. It says in here, it says, showing her Uh, Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel so that they are heirs with you, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, he's not talking about the woman being emotionally weak here. He's not saying that women are intellectually weak. There are two types of weakness he's specifically talking about. Vessel points to physical, you know, just, uh, just usual muscle mass based on just basic stuff. You know, just men being... Strong, but then in this context also is social. Social, because remember, women held a very low role in their society, so it would have been very, it would have been extremely missional for the husband to consider his wife an equal, because men didn't do that. See, men didn't emotionally connect with their wife; they only physically connected with their wife to bear children in this culture. But they had concubines. And chicks on their arms. So they went to prostitutes in this culture. Deep background stuff I don't have time to go through. But they basically didn't, they, they didn't dwell with their wives physically because they were never home. And they dated and did life with prostitutes and concubines and women outside of the home. But, and so when, when people became Christians in this day, it was a great adjustment because for some women, their marriage didn't start till they became Christians. And so Peter has to tell them, he he says, show her honor. And then he says, as the weaker vessel, so I want you to give security to her, protect her, even in the midst of this whack culture that has a whack understanding of the function and the, the equality and power of God's grace on women. Then he says this. He says, now you can trip if you want, but I'm gonna let you know that if you don't stay your behind home, sometimes study your wife, show her honor, and make sure that she's an equal household representative, even though it doesn't take away the function of you being the head of the household, because equality doesn't do that. That doesn't mean that both of y'all are heads of the household. There's only one under Christ, and that's the husband. But then he says, if you start tripping, your prayers will be hindered. That means you can come to the upper room all night prayer. And you can pray all night. 
And your prayers will just be circulating in this facility, just like this. Because God the Holy Ghost will pat your prayers down. God the Father will be like, you hear something? I don't know. See, God loves all of us, but he loves women in such a way that he's going to not let us front on them. And so he said, I got to make a make a make. See, remember, there was no there was no discipline for the woman, not, you know, just people not getting sin. But for the man, God said, see, I know how y'all are. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to booby trap the marriage so that if you trip on your wife, I won't answer anything. And God will bless around you to your wife. Because he ain't going to let her catch all of it. He's going to bless right around you. But our prayers will be hindered. No much explanation on that. That's just what will happen if we don't hold our beautiful wives in high regard. So, so, so those of us who've flunked in it, let's get it going, fam. In the name of Christ, because Christ, through the cross, has given us the ability through the cross. He's redeemed us with the connectability. That's why he's the new Adam. And he's the ultimate husband. Because he spiritually connects with the church through causing us to be born again and sending the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. He emotionally connects with us based on Romans 8.34, because he intercedes with us. He also, based on Hebrews chapter 4, he, we do not have a high priest who is not able to empathize with our infirmities. He emotionally connects with us, and he will be physically connected with us when he comes back and gets us and give us new bodies. And the Bible says, it is not yet known what we will be like. All we know is that we will be like... Yeah. So Jesus ultimately is the best husband. And if you want to be a best husband, don't just look at Jesus. Because that's moralism. Trust him. Repent of your false husbandhood. And trust him. And embrace his power. And ask him to help you to apply it to your marital relationship. Maybe you're here and you blew it. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior. This is not something to ask. This is not for you to be a better husband. John, John 17, 3 said, and this is eternal life that you would know the Father and his only Son, Jesus Christ, in whom he sent. Having a relationship with getting saved means doesn't just mean being different. That's an application of it. It means to have the relationship between God the Father and his creation reconnected through Christ, applied by the Spirit. So that means you have to repent of your sin, turn from your way of thinking and your way of doing things, and turn to Jesus who died on the cross in our place for our sin, and was raised on the third day, new life. If you trust in him and him alone, you're saved. If that's you, you have through that, you believe what I just said. We want you on the back table, out in the lobby, to fill out a card, and we want to get with you. We want to talk with you and engage you 
on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we honor you.